All right, y'all, it's good to be with you. My name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there, um, and uh, happy Mother's Day to my mom. I am grateful for you, and I love you, and um, happy Mother's Day to the mother of my children. I'm grateful for you, and I love you as well. Um, I, I want to just start by reminding you that we're in the midst of this series called Presence, and uh, this is a series specifically aimed at helping us as a church engage with the presence of God and then be present with others around us. And so be present with God, connected in relationship with Him, and then in, connect, in connection, relationship with others around us. And, um, and we started by saying that we're made for God's presence. In His presence is the fullness of joy. That's the story of the scriptures, God with us. We, had, we were with Him in the garden. We lost His presence through sin. Jesus came to restore us to His presence, and that's what we'll be living in for eternity. And then secondly, we'll say, we said, when we get a clear view of God's glory and of His grace, you will insist on His presence above everything else. You won't settle for a false paradise, because there's no such thing as paradise apart from His presence. And then last week, we heard from Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that we are called to remain in His presence, that we are to be constantly connected, abiding in His presence, and that as we do that, it will transform the way that we're present with others. When we dwell in His love, it will allow us to love others. And then we come to this point where we want to see these, uh, this idea of presence become, become a practice in our lives. We want to see it make its way into the activity regularly of our lives. And so... It's actually the heart behind this whole series is that we would not miss this moment where so much of our lives have been upended, that we've been disrupted. And in the midst of this disruption, that we'd capture that moment to reorient our lives around being present with God and present with others. And that's going to come not just through thinking about it, but actually putting these things into practice, uh, engaging in practices that will help us uh, live in God's presence. And so those are oftentimes called spiritual disciplines. And, uh, or, or spiritual activities. It's the, it's the regular spiritual activity of your life. And uh, there's lots of them that we could discuss, but over the next four weeks, we're going to look at prayer and fasting, Sabbath rest, and scripture reading. So we're going to look at these four particular practices and try to get down into the weeds with them, with you, to see them applied, lived out, practiced in your life. And Really, I'm calling them practices of presence on purpose, not spiritual disciplines, because I think there's something in calling them spiritual disciplines that maybe something in your mind is clicked into place that this is that there's punishment involved here or correction that's involved here or so, something there that's uh, maybe missing the heart of what is happening. And, and so that's why I'm calling them a practice of presence to help our minds click into the reality of what is actually being done. What are you practicing in this? And, and that, that's kind of this idea of, uh, of commander's intent that I've, that I've heard of and that I really like. It's, it's from the military. They use it in all of their operations. They always articulate a commander's intent. And what, what it does, it says, this is something that is written about. It says, the commander's intent empowers initiative, improvisation, and adaptation in a changing battlefield environment by providing guidance on what a successful conclusion looks like. And so in all of these military operations, you need to know in the midst of the fog of war, when everything's changing and shifting around you, what are we ultimately aiming for? And so that's happening in a lot of our lives all the time, not just in the midst of COVID, but all the time our normal routines are getting changed or disrupted. And so we have to know how we can adapt 
in the midst of those to still accomplish the commander's intent for these practices? How can we successfully engage in these practices in our lives? And so kind of a key to that that I just want to point quickly to is, um, is Jesus, when he's talking about these practices of presence, he, he talks about them in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to summarize it for you for the sake of time because there's a conversation after this with Duke Rivard and then a bit on fasting. So I'm going to quickly just tell you that um, Jesus calls out um, the Pharisees over the course of these three sections, but, but he uses them as case studies on how to not practice spiritual disciplines or not engage in practices of presence. And, um, and what he does is he, he says he repeats sort of the same th- um, theme through these three sections it's different practices, but the same problem comes up. And, and he summarizes it this way at the beginning of the section. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so the problem that he points out over and over again is that they're doing these things in order to be seen by others, not in order to be seen by their Father who is in heaven. And so the problem is that they, 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 that they were looking for the wrong reward. It's not that they were looking for a reward. It's that they were looking for the wrong reward, which was to be seen by others, which is also just to say that they weren't doing that to worship God, but to get worshiped by other people. And so for you, if there's something in your life where you're actually, um, I think we actually kind of begin to think that these practices are just becoming inauthentic and rote and dispassionate. And you might have an accurate read. Maybe you're Maybe your, your prayer life or your um, scripture reading or um, any kind of attempt at a Sabbath rest. Maybe all those things are kind of just stale to you right now. And I don't think that they've become an ends in themselves. I think they're just a means to a lesser ends. And so uh, you're looking for maybe the wrong reward from this thing. And so Jesus in this, in this section in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, hey, don't settle for a lesser reward to be seen by other people. The goal, the commander's intent, is that you would be seen by the Father, known in His presence. And then some of us, the solution for this staleness in our, our, our practices of presence is just to not do them. So if I can't do them right, you know, they've become meaningless for me. So I'm just going to stop doing them altogether. But what's interesting is that Jesus, He never addresses if you will or won't do them as His disciples. He just addresses why you're doing them. You see that? He doesn't address if you will, but why you will. And so in this, I just, I, you know, I want to encourage you, maybe if you have stopped or given up or maybe grown frustrated or discouraged with even your inconsistency, I just want to, to say, hey, now, right now, what if God's calling you to just re-engage in the practice? Just calling you to re-engage in a practice of presence to meet him in a secret place. That's what I want to encourage you to do is consider the commander's intent. What Jesus is saying, hey, these practices, they're not an ends in themselves. It's not just for the sake of reading the Bible or praying. And it's not just so that other people would know that you do, but so that you might meet your Father in that place. And so the commander's intent, knowing that, I would just tell you what a coach told me a long time ago as I, was, as I played football for a brief period of time. And I just had this coach who would just stay in the back of my ear on the, when we were running through drills. And there's really adverse conditions. Things were really crazy and hard. Maybe it's like storming and raining and we're supposed to throw a pass down the field. And, you know, somebody would say, oh, but it's, it's raining, coach. And all he would say relentlessly was find a way, find a way, find a way. And so that's my encouragement to you today is just to find a way to begin to pick up one of these pick up one of these practices this week 
We're going to look at daily and weekly practices over the course of this next two weeks. We're going to look at prayer and fasting today. And so consider this, listen in on this conversation with my friend Duke. He's a, he's a member and a leader at City Church, a wise and experienced uh, leader when it comes to prayer. And so I would listen in and hear what he has to say about it. As an opening, like, yeah, just even being asked to speak about prayer and to define prayer is like, feels like, Nobody's qualified. I certainly don't feel qualified. <laughs> I'll just say that on the front. Um, but it's also like something that every single Christian should have a working definition of and a working experience of, because it's also like, I'll just say the, um, it is the line of communication between you and God. And, and we know that God is triune, that God exists in a community unto himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God is inherently relational and that he created us in his image, which means he created us with the capacity for relationship and he created us desiring relationship. So we like all those things are kind of like the seedbed, even when we start talking about prayer, is that we are relational. God wants relationship with us um, after sin, after Adam and Eve's tragic decision and after all the fall, uh, he's been aggressively and, and deliberately making a way back for us to have relationship, to have communion. And so prayer in many ways is a celebration of the gospel because it says uh, in Christ, we've been made righteous. We've been given access again to the holy presence of God for relationship's sake. Um, and so prayer is, is a sort of, it's really like an opportunity to re-engage in relationship, to re-engage in conversation. Um, one, of, one of the ways I might think about it or define it is prayer as attentiveness to God with the awareness that God's attentive to us. So we're paying attention to God, knowing God's paying attention to us. Um, uh, we're, we're, which is a couple pieces to it. I mean, obviously it's to be prayerless uh, is to not pay attention to God, to do life without God, to just say, I'm going to just motor through on my own resources, my own best ideas or the people around me or whatever. Um, there's another error, which may be not believing that God's attentive to us. Maybe saying, I desire a relationship with God, but, would he really like talk to me? Is he really available to me? Isn't he busy with other people's problems? Uh, isn't there bigger things in the world right now that he should be thinking about than my small problem or my small experience of life right now? Uh, and, the, and the answer is like prayer, God created us for that. He, he, he's like a good father who desires that relationship. He desires to be interrupted, you know, um, and he desires for us to come to him and engage him and his capacity is in no way limited by all those other big problems in the world. He's still available, accessible, and has the ability to, to engage us. And so, um, yeah, I might just summarize prayer as, as attentiveness to God with the, with the real confidence that he's attentive to us when, you know, when we come to him, that he actually wants that relationship. Um, he's not put off or frustrated that we're coming to him. In fact, he created us for that very purpose. <laughs> and so we're just walking into the thing we were designed for. We're walking into something that he... He, he values something that we value, we are made for. Even if we don't know or we haven't prayed and it's unfamiliar, it's like there's something about that that's hand in glove that we actually do know. Like we do long to know God. Um, we were created with that longing. So even if it's unfamiliar and clumsy, it's still approaching something that is inherent to our very nature. And so it's, uh, it's familiar at the same time. Yeah, for sure. So I think some of that um, resonates with me just thinking about how we are designed for God's presence. 
and um, we're designed for relation. I mean, that's like, it's not another way of saying we were made to be in relationship with God and with one another. And it's rare that you, I mean, it's unheard of to have a relationship where there's zero communication, right? So there's, mm-hmm. it's just um, the, your closest relationships, oftentimes, even if, even if you don't get to talk frequently, you would like to talk frequently and there's maybe, maybe a soldier is deployed. And so they're having to write letters or something, you know, and so maybe it's a strained communication or um, it's, you know, frequency is decreased, but those phone calls or letters or all that mean all the more in those moments, right? Um, Absolutely. And so just in, so it should be important to our lives. I think that there's um, just oftentimes it, we, we miss on, like we don't pray frequently. And so, um, or a prayer life doesn't look like what we'd like for it to look like maybe, or what we think it's supposed to look like. And so just, if, if you could talk about how maybe it, uh, your prayer life is maybe how, how it has looked in a recent season or in seasons of health, what does that actually look like? Uh, how would you either specific things you're, you're doing or how, how you're going about pursuing that practice in your, in your life? Yeah, I could, I could talk Will, a little bit about what, ways that prayer has been unhelpful for me and then and then some things that I think God is by his grace helped me help me see an experience that have really changed prayer for me uh, I think I think for a long time I thought what I, I don't even know if I thought I just subconsciously accepted a, a vision of prayer which was uh, make sure you give God the right answers back about theology so sometimes like reciting good theology back to God like really pristine biblical theology um, of like quoting <clears throat> fragments of verses and making sure that everything I'm saying is like super aligned with like sound doctrine. And maybe I was praying for God, like wanting him to know I had good theology. Maybe I was praying for others, wanting them to think I had good theology. I don't know. There was just a time when I felt like my prayer life was a, a, reset, a resuscitation or recitation of, of my theology. Um, and I was just supposed to do that. Um, I think what's become much more meaningful than that. I mean, you can imagine like you're encountering, you know, Natalie and you're telling her what a husband should say theoretically to a wife, totally cold and like unemotional and unconnected to the words you're saying, but this is technically what a husband should say to a wife. So I'm saying it, that's not a really deep and vibrant relationship. And yet I, I did that. I could say that that probably was descriptive of my prayer life for, for some time. And so uh, but what's what's actually been the most profound, um, and and there's a couple of different places I picked it up. One was Paul Miller's book, uh, Praying Life, where he just sort of gives you permission to be childlike, and and I think that is it's so simple. And we know that Jesus says pray like a child. We know Jesus says have faith like a child. And yet, there's still something about us that wants to be competent, that wants to be an adult, that wants to um, honestly probably have our stuff together. A little bit and, and being a child is to be needy and to, to lack even a certain level of decorum. Um, and I'm, I'm probably wrestling with some tension. Like there was, there is a fear of the Lord and like, Hey, make sure you understand who you're approaching. Like this isn't your, your homeboy. Jesus is my homeboy is exists. You know, God exists in unapproachable light. Fear of the Lord's beginning wisdom, like know who you're talking to and come like a child who is coming in the presence of a father who wants relationship and not with like this ceremonial, like decorum per se. Um, And so that, that was probably one, just like giving myself permission to be childlike. And the second layer, which is kind of connected to that uh, was just really doing some work with a mentor of mine named Jeff Schulte. 
And he's got a book called, actually a workbook called The Voice of the Heart Workbook, which really taps into the eight core emotions of what it's like to be a human. Uh, it's really just a map of the interior of a human. Um, I mean, really familiar things like anger and guilt and shame and fear and hurt and lonely. Uh, there's just things that every human knows and you know when you feel them. And, and I think what's been really uh, kind of building off of that idea of childlikeness and building off of the idea of neediness, uh, which really, I think that's what Paul Miller would say is neediness is really the prerequisite for prayer. Um, but really getting current with my own emotional state, doing somewhat like a feelings check-in um, in the morning and having some orientation about where I am and why. It's usually related to a story, conversation that I had with somebody the day before that, that week or a conversation I'm going to have or, or a memory from the past that's, that's still gnawing on me in some way. Uh, but being really honest about that and going to God with that. Um, and what I've seen, whereas that could sound like a counseling technique, that could sound like, uh, oh, you did some personal counseling. And, and honestly, the longer I've done it, Will, the more I, and the more I read the Psalms, I'm like, this is just what David is doing. Uh, David is showing up and telling the truth about himself to God in relationship. And then he's meeting with God, but he's, it's not a cerebral thing. He's not like having an intellectual discussion with God. It's a real heart level thing. We know that David is the man after God's own heart. David's really, he's a real emotional present dude. Like he's real honest. He's really like telling the truth about himself. But when we tell the truth about ourselves in relationship, we get intimacy. You know, that's, that's what happens in a marriage. It's what happens in a prayer life with God. Uh, there's really no bonus points for pretending with God. There's no, like, you don't get ahead by doing that. Uh, and so for me, being able to come to God and tell the truth about my emotions and, and in the morning, write a kind of psalm each morning, which acknowledges where I'm at, tells the truth and invites God to speak into that. Uh, I do often pray the psalms and, and fairly regularly relate to, to what, you know, parts of, of the psalms. Um, and, um, and also scripture. So I can talk more about how and what it looked like, but, but I think the, the big summary there is childlikeness, neediness, emotional presence are really the, to me, like the, the seedbed for authentic relationship with anybody, uh, certainly with God. And, and the more we can approach that, the more, I think intimacy and legit, you know, kind of authenticity we end up having in our prayer life, you know, with God. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I um I love that. I love that part of Paul Miller's book. Um, and just he even talks about one of his kids uh, as they're growing up, just like starting to try to articulate a word, and it's like they said it totally wrong, and we weren't like, oh, gosh, guys, come on, it, it's it's called butter, okay? I think that's actually the example he uses, and he's like, it's it's pronounced butter, and if you're gonna say it, say it right, you know? It's like, no, we're like you're learning how to talk, how amazing, good for you. We're so proud of you. You know, it's like, there's like a real sense of like God's fatherhood towards us and desire for us to learn even how to talk and how to articulate things and engage in conversation with him. You know, so I think it's a really beautiful thing. Um, just, just real quickly. Uh, well, uh, with that also the Psalms, we see, we see a real picture of neediness. The Psalms, Psalm 42, like a deer is panting for water that's not comfortable. That's like, I'm, I'm dying here, longing, needy for, for God to move and to meet me here. Um, Jesus talking with uh, all the parables he gives, you know, he has a widow um, who's like just, just bugging somebody. He's like, be like that, pray like that, pray incessantly, bug, bug 
the father, you know, it's like a real cool picture that he gives mm-hmm. us. Um, and so I love that. If, if somebody's going to take just a first step towards uh, practicing this, uh, engaging in this practice, right? So like maybe writing a psalm sounds amazing. I'm like, I'm just, you know, where do, how do I take a baby step here into mm-hmm. engaging in this practice? What would you say first step, you know, this week you could put it in action. Well, how would you even uh, commission somebody to begin practicing? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can read the Psalms and pray the Psalms and that, and the the Psalms have been the prayer book of the church for 2000 years or the prayer book for Israel before that. Uh, I think it's a simple guided way because they're honest uh, because they're telling the truth uh, emotionally. I think it's a great authentic way. And, and so you might have to read three or four Psalms to find one that really resonates with where you are. But once you find those or even Google search like Psalms about, anger psalms about hurt psalms that you pretty quickly can zero in on a few and go man this is pretty close to where i'm at and i could pray these psalms authentically after david or, or the other psalmist um, and so that's a really easy uh, low-hanging fruit uh, one of the things will i think that um i i continue to realize is how individualistic we can be uh even in our spirituality and and so this idea that i need to learn how to pray in my prayer closet all by myself is I think is a misnomer, you know, misunderstanding. Um, if you think about learning anything else, uh, you've, when you've really learned, you've often learned in more of an apprenticeship or in a community that is good at the thing that you're trying to learn. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot easier to, to get in good shape in a CrossFit gym than it is by yourself in your garage with all the right equipment. Um, even though it's all there, there's all kinds of things you don't know you're doing wrong or that you don't, not that prayer is a performance, but it's, there's still like a learning that happens by being with others who are strong in that area. Uh, so I think the best way to learn to pray is pray with those who are stronger in prayer. Um, and you don't have to learn alone. I think it, we, we thought, Hey, I'll go get strong in prayer by myself and then I'll be confident enough to come pray with others. You know, and you often hear people, Hey, I'm not going to pray out loud. I don't really, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing that when really I think it might be inverted where we should grow in prayer with others and that'll probably reinforce and strengthen our prayer by ourselves. Um, and so I would encourage you, and I know COVID is a really weird and strange moment to, to learn, to be saying, Hey, go pray with others. You may not have, you may be a single gal living alone and not have that opportunity right this minute. Uh, but even on the phone, uh, prayer can be meaningful. Even on the zoom call can be meaningful. Um, and, and where we can get together six feet apart, which I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, praying together, I think is, is a way to strengthen that muscle and even praying in agreement. There's all kinds of promises around that and listening to what others are praying and trying to really co-sign, Hey, I want that too, God. I want to partner with them. I'm, I'm gaining faith as I'm hearing them. And I, I want to, want to lock into that. Certainly when we're married, I have an opportunity to pray with my wife, Caroline, every single day, pretty much. I have an opportunity to pray with my daughters every day. Um, we typically do that. Um, and so just pressing in to pray with others is there. If I, if I were going to recommend a book, um, I would recommend, Paul, you know, we mentioned that Paul Miller's A Praying Life. That was the one book that I've read a lot of books on prayer. It was the one book that I was like putting down to pray. Like I would put the book down because I just wanted to pray. I was like, he, he, is, he is like growing my affection, my desire for Jesus, my desire to know him. He's making it so accessible that I just like want to stop reading and pray, you know, which is just a, probably the strongest commendation I can give to a book. Um, so I would, I would probably you know, one of those three things, you know, pray the Psalms, uh, pray with others, or maybe read a book that is a, is a great guide in, in growing in, into prayer. 
All right, so those are some helpful words from Duke. Uh, pray the Psalms, pray with people, pick up a book on prayer, a book like uh, Praying Life by Paul Miller. I have it right now, I've started into it. It's a great book. Um, and so I, I wanna just tell you what's helped me lately um, in, in when it comes to prayer is just capturing transitions. So uh, you can't capture transitions for the sake of prayer. And so you wake up, that's your transition into the beginning of the day. Ask God for help with the day ahead to walk with him that day. Um, you can just be honest about what you're, what you're thinking. He's telling you in, his, in the word that morning and um, ask him if that's true and help, help him help, ask for help to apply it in your life. Um, at lunchtime or in the middle of the day when you're transitioning to the afternoon, um, that's a moment where I've thought about it as the day the sun is reaching the center of the sky. And so I'm trying to recenter my life on God and His presence. And so whether that's a great morning that I've had, um, that I would not be prideful in anything that's gone well, um, but I, that I'd also not be too overly discouraged by anything that hasn't gone well. And so a moment to recenter as the sun is recentering. And then at the end of the workday, a moment to uh, just surrender and um, lay my hands down and say, it's the end of the day, um, at least the end of the workday. And so I'm gonna leave all these things so that I can be present with my family. And then at bedtime or at nighttime where I'm transitioning into going to sleep, that's another moment to just say thank you to God for all the good things He gave me today or all the things that I'm struggling through or that I'm angry about or frustrated with or whatever it is that's going on, just talking to Him, capture the transitions for the sake of prayer. And so just a, a note on that is when life turns to soup, you know, when life is transitionless, a lot of, a lot of like maybe you're a, a, a young mom or something and you're like, yeah, that's neat whenever the end of the workday. Tell me when that is again. Uh, so if that's kind of where you're at, I, I honestly think building in these transitions or just trying to, to, to even force a transition point for the sake of prayer can help you make sense of the day and keep a touch point with your Father. When everything feels fluid and soupy in your life, you can find your footing by talking to your Father regularly throughout the day. And so capture whatever transitions exist for the sake of prayer, that's what I tell you. And, and then just to shift into a quick note on fasting. So Jesus moves from prayer to fasting in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So through those three sections, it ends up being uh, generosity, prayer, and then fasting. And you also see them just linked all the time over and over again throughout the scriptures. Prayer and fasting show up all the time together. And so what's interesting about fasting is a lot of people might feel bad about the fact that maybe their prayer life is infrequent and inauthentic. But most people don't even think enough about fasting to have a sense of conviction about it. That's, that's what I found. Most people are not even actually convicted about a lack of fasting in their life because, because they don't think about it enough. And so it has some kind of an aura of mystery and maybe extremism to it. And so I just want to get into a little bit of what fasting is. I've, I've fasted plenty of times in my life, but I don't think that a lot of the times I was actually accomplishing the commander's intent in my fasting. And I'll tell you, I was, I was, there was a 24-hour fast that I was engaged in while I was working for the Lieutenant Governor of Texas. And he actually invited me to dinner during a period of time that would break that, that would interrupt that fast. And so I was like so conflicted about what to do because I was, I was really just like his assistant. And so getting to go to dinner was kind of like a big, big deal and it was an honor and I didn't want to turn him down and, and be like a bad employee, but I also didn't want to tell him that I was fasting. I was just like so conflicted about it. And so I ended up just breaking the fast, eating the dinner with him. So I didn't have to tell him about it because I was like, why well, I can't be seen by others. I, you know, I was like trying to apply this text and it, it was a real mess. Like I was really just uh, torn up. And so um, it, ultimately I, I was not uh, doing that 
to, to be seen by others, but I also don't think I was experiencing all that God intended for me in that time. I wasn't ultimately receiving the reward of the Father. And so uh, the reason why I think that is because I think I was ultimately just fighting a fight against hunger for 24 hours and not actually uh, leveraging what the hunger was creating in me uh, to engage further in God's presence. And so practically speaking, what fasting is, it, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a great definition of it. it he, he just says it's, any, it's abstinence, abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. So it doesn't have to be food, but food is a good thing right? Um, it, it's not a bad thing. Food is, food is great. Uh, God made food and uh, he, he, we're going to feast in heaven together. It's like a big part of that. Um, and so what fasting is, is it's a way of expressing a, a longing for something else by going without something good. A way of expressing a longing for something else by going without something that's, got, that's good. And so um, it, it doesn't have to be just food, but I actually think food is probably where we feel it the most. Now you might be like, I don't even care about food. I just love coffee or I just love, you know, whatever, you fill in the blank, um, good thing. Um, but I actually think food is, I think we can kind of skirt around and be like, oh, I'm going to fast from TV. And it's like, well, I, you might, you, you'll definitely feel that, but not in the way that you do hunger. And so, um, yes, you can fast from other things. Yes, you should fast from other things if that's especially what you're called to. But I think food is a great place to start if you haven't started anywhere else. And so Jesus speaks about fasting in Matthew 6, but then he also, it comes up again in Matthew chapter 9. And I think it's helpful to see what he says about it there. He says, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. He says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, um, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding feasts, can, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So John Piper here, he, what he says about this, that, this section, he says, The context of fasting in Jesus' mind is longing for the not yet of the kingdom. While he was here, they didn't fast because the bridegroom was present. But when the bridegroom was taken away to come a second time, there was an ache in the heart of God's people. Fasting, listen to this, fasting is a physical exclamation point at the end of the sentences. I need you. I want you. I long for you. You are my treasure. I want more of you. Oh, for the day when you would return, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. What fasting is, is the exclamation point at the end of our prayers. And I think that's why prayer and fasting are linked so frequently is because it was, it, it's part of the declara declaration of our longing for God to answer our prayers. And so how can you actually begin fasting? How can you begin this practice if it's not frequent in your life? And I bet for a lot of us, it's not frequent in our lives. And so what I tell you to do is pick a meal or a set of meals between now and June 7th. So it's a pretty wide window. And, and during that time when you would have been eating a meal or a set of meals, pray. So replace the meal with a prayer. And pray for Jesus' return. That Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's ultimately what we want. Can you imagine when he comes back? Uh, all you've ever hoped for and dreamed for would be wrapped up in where you are when he comes back. Um, pray for healing of brokenness in your life 
your neighborhood and our world. And there is a there is plenty of need for, for prayer around healing of brokenness in your life, your neighborhood, and our world. And the last thing I would tell you is pray for revival in our church. Pray for revival in our church. That's what we are longing to see as, as a church and a community. We're wanting to see a revival of joyful worship. And so we, we want to we want to see that happen and then and then repeat that so so between now and June 7th do that but then repeat it weekly or monthly or quarterly at whatever interval you'll commit to and you can do that individually you can do that with others the point is that is it's not that no one can know about it okay the point is that you are aiming at a better reward than other people knowing that you're fasting a greater connection engagement and presence with your father who sees in secret so you can do that with others but as long as that the goal is not to be seen by others. And so um, and with prayer and with fasting, I think we can engage in these practices and, and lay a groundwork for something that we're longing for the Spirit to do in us. That's the prayer for revival, that, that He would spark revival in us. And as we lay the groundwork, as we gather the kindling through these practices of presence, um, we're going to pray that the Spirit would light it up. And so I'm, I'm actually speaking to you from a room uh, the very same room where I asked my father-in-law to if I could uh, marry his daughter. And then um, in this very same room, I was told that a job opportunity I really, really wanted, I was not, it, that it was not going to happen for me. I got good news in this room. I got hard news in this room. Um, and what I was reminded of just as in preparation was how God has met me in both of those seasons through these practices of presence. In the best of seasons of life, God can meet you in those moments through these practices of presence. Don't give up on them in good seasons. But He also can meet you. God kind of met me and uh, when, when I got that news, really hard news for me, really discouraging news for me in a season. Um, God met me through these practices of presence. And, uh, and so don't give up on Him and don't stop doing them just because you're in the midst of a hard season. So I love you. Happy practicing, City Church. Let's get to it.